Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 3rd of December 2018 and this is episode 92. On today's programme, I talk to school archivist Sarah Wern about her new book, which looks at Great War Memorials in Public Schools. This is published by Helion. Hi Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Could you start by telling us about how you became interested in, in the Great War and also public school war memorials? Well, I suppose my interest began at school with the literature, the poetry, and developed from there. I read many, many war memoirs in my youth. And, but what really took my interest was the dead and the consequent grief among the families and how I felt this had been overlooked. So it led me to an interest in war commemoration, war memorials, inscriptions. And I work at a, I work at a school, I'm the archivist at a boys' school, and I could see how much information there was on war, war memorials in these schools. So that's how the idea of the book came, came up. Which leads us on to our second question. Tell me about your book and what it's about. Um, well, I mean, it, it, is, it is a collection of, it is a study of 48 war memorials in British public schools. And the idea came up uh, as a commemoration, part of the commemoration of the First World War. I thought it would be, I thought it would be a, a nice idea to make this record, this study of how these war memorials had come about. Some of these school war memorials have been destroyed in the 100 years since they were built, given away, altered, lost. So this is a record for the future. Now, in your book, you talk about the losses amongst former public school pupils killed in the Great War as, a quote, the lost generation. What was the scale of casualties of public school boys during the First World War? Statistics aren't my strong subject, nor is it the interest of my book. But I think that although... I think that the figures are that 33,000 officers were killed, and most of these officers, 22,000, will be, before 1917, would have been the volunteers from the public schools. So although compared with the over 500,000 soldiers who were killed, it's about, the percentage is just much greater amongst the officers than amongst the soldiery. It's not so much the numbers, but the character of the, um, the, the post-war world. If you just think of the people who survived and fought, uh, compared with, who knows what the, the century would have been like had it been, had the axe fallen the other way. You just have to think Winnie the Pooh would never have existed. The Lord of the Rings would never have existed. But it would have been a different century without them. When, obviously, the war ended and these memorials start to be uh, erected across the country in, in public schools, what was the purpose of actually putting these memorials up what did schools want to achieve well in a way they wanted to bring them home because you have to realize that the repatriation of bodies was forbidden so everybody had to be buried in the country where they'd been killed so this was a way of bringing them home and a way definitely of putting their names up so that they shouldn't be forgotten but it wasn't just so they shouldn't be forgotten it was uh, to encourage others who came after to appreciate the sacrifice the duty and service they'd shown and encourage them to show the same, should it be necessary. So they built these war memorials. Um, What was the symbolism and messaging of these morals? And was this shaped by the religious background of some of the schools that the boys come in? I'm thinking of, you know, for instance, Downside being a Catholic school or Campbell College being a a largely Protestant Mm. Presbyterian school. I think definitely the religion 
informed them. I think that um, a school like Ampleforth, all the Roman Catholic schools were very concerned for the souls of their dead soldiers. They felt that they felt quite rightly that they probably hadn't received the last rites. So they established things like shrines and prayers for the dead. Whereas the Quaker school, these Quaker schools, they were pacifist schools, and they had a real problem with their soldiers, with their old boys who'd gone off to fight. Part of Quakerism is that you, you respect the decisions other people have made. And so they put up these memorials that have no re- reference to religion, but do respect those who followed the light or their ideals. That's what they say on Quaker memorials. And what about Church of England memorials? You can see the variety between those that were high church, like um, Denston, that uh, have they refer to the Virgin Mary and um, are very religious. A school like Campbell College, it's, it's very interesting because that's quite a political memorial. You can see that it's very much United Ireland under the British crown. Well, I can see that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to declare my interest that I also work at Camel College and that's how um, I I became aware of of what you were doing and and your colleague James came out and photographed our Mm -hmm. memorial. And indeed, there probably is a key political element as it was erected in 1923 after the partition of Ireland, the creation of Northern Ireland and the Free State in the South. What sort of iconography and symbols do these memorials feature? But they are symbolising, well, St George, for instance, is one of the most popular of all the icons that's used in these memorials. And he is a symbol either of the Christian knight, the Christian knight, or of the triumph of good over evil. The cross, of course, is a sacrifice. It represents a sacrifice of mankind. But so does a pelican. And I'm not. it's a very, very popular symbol in these war memorials. But the pelican is a symbol of sacrifice because it's thought to have taken the blood from its own chest to feed its young whenever there was famine or something like that. We don't understand the iconography. We don't see what they're saying. So we do just see them as knights in armour, ladies in robes, naked figures. I mean, this, this figure of Isaiah or the infant Samuel with no clothes on, holding his hands out, saying, here I am, send me. Uh, you know, this comes, this is the volunteers who in their nakedness, it still symbolises their vulnerability and how they volunteered at the call of God to go and do their duty. And what's the cost and scale of these memorials? Uh, I know Campbell College, for instance, cost about £3,000, which then was a huge amount of money, given the average wage was between £50 and £60 a year. It depends what you aimed for. One of the things that's very interesting is that many schools failed to meet their targets. Even if they did meet their target, they found that prices had gone up so hugely that they couldn't they couldn't fulfil what they'd hoped to fulfil. But a place like Charterhouse built a huge new chapel and that cost £75,000. Uh, I've just said that schools didn't make their targets, but Russell aimed to raise £20,000 and got 37000 Most schools struggled. I mean, I, I don't know that Abingdon struggled. That's, I have to say that's the school where I work as the archivist. But they raised about £18,000, which was, it was a very small school in those days. That was a lot of money. I mean, I think it's huge when you compare uh, with modern prices and, and reflect on, on, on what that would mean today. And that would be, you know, for many of us, very difficult to grasp. And did memorials actually do have other types of symbols of remembrance in terms of, I know most feature um, sculptures and most fe- fe- feature a tableau of names. Did, did schools look at doing other things to commemorate their dead? 
Well, as, as you well know at Campbell College, they, they put up portraits, framed portraits of the dead in the panelling around the Great Hall. And this was something that other schools did at Downside. They brought a whole collection of portraits of the dead still in the frames, which looks to me as if they're still in the frames, that they put them up and they line the corridor in the science block. Lots of schools made collections, either albums of the dead or published collections of the dead. But they also, they, they also you know, there's a great big debate as to whether you should put up a utilitarian memorial or a non-utilitarian memorial, something that was totally symbolic or something that was a gym or a playing field or a pavilion. There's a lot of dispute about these things. And I suppose it leads us on to, I suppose, how we reflect on these memorials. How do you think modern audiences view these memorials? And do you think we really understand their meaning and value uh, from our 21st century perspective? Definitely don't. And one of the major reasons that we don't is because we don't see the war now like they saw it. You know, Lord Grey, who was the British Foreign Secretary at that time, said that the war had been the, you know, our freedom of individuals, our whole heritage of the past, our hopes for the future, they were all at stake. Well, that's not how we see it these days. So we, A, we can't understand them on that level. We don't have the grief that they had you know, it's in the past. We don't understand the language and the symbolism. You know, we, we just don't understand them as, as they were put up and we see them as sort of deeply conventional, traditional forms of art. The 21st century left them behind, really. The, t- the 20th century left these, these memorials behind in their love for the avant-garde and for modernism. But we need to understand them to see what they said. As a matter of interest, were there any, uh, I suppose, avant-garde or modern interpretations, as it would have been in the, in the 1920s, of the war memorials? Or did they really reflect sort of the Edwardian and Victorian ideas of war and conflict and loss and duty and honour, etc.? I think that the majority of them, I can't actually think of an avant-garde or a modernist memorial, certainly in a British school. I mean, the, the, the nature of a memorial is to look backwards. It is to romanticise the past that you've lost. They're, they're, not, they're not looking for the future. They're looking to the past and they're expressing it in the language of the past. Finally, Sarah, where can people get your book from? Well, I rather hope this is going to be in bookshops, but I definitely know that you can buy it from uh, online. You can buy it from Hellion, who are the publishers. You can buy it from Waterson, and, and it is on Amazon. Sarah, thank you very much for your time. My <laughs> pleasure. Okay, thank you. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>